Of course, last week we looked at who our greatest enemies are, and that is the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as Christians, we can now forsake the world, flee from the lusts of our flesh, and even fight off and resist the devil, all because of what we will be looking at tonight from John chapter 16, verse 33. Really just one verse to kind of spearhead our efforts, but we will be actually exploring much of the message that Jesus gave to his disciples in the upper room at his last supper. And in this one verse, John 16, 33, Jesus himself tells his disciples these triumphant words. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Again, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Now, when Jesus said these words, it was just hours before his arrest, his trial, and his death on the cross of Calvary. And of course, for anyone else, that would have meant utter defeat. But of course, not for our Lord Jesus Christ. And as disciples of Christ ourselves, we can now overcome our enemies, because first and foremost, just like we just read, Jesus overcame them first and for us. And so from what Jesus says here in John 16, 33, we will find that when it comes to our enemies, there are two things that we need to do. And that's the outline that we will go through tonight. Two things that we need to do. And the first thing that we need to do is to remember something. To remember something. Even as Jesus was recalling to his disciples' minds what he had just told them when he was with them in that upper room, and he was giving, as Matthew Henry once described it, his farewell sermon. His farewell sermon. And we're not exactly sure how long it took him to give this sermon, but the sermon was given at the time of the Last Supper and extends from John chapter 13, verse 2, all the way through John chapter 18, verse 1. And of course, we will see more of that as we get to that in our Sunday morning services in the Gospel of John. But that is his entire message to his disciples. And there's a lot covered. And we're going to look at what those things are covered. But he sprinkles all throughout his message in those chapters. Something that he says a, a few times. And he introduces it here also in John 16, These things I have spoken unto you. Now, if you were to say this to somebody, obviously it implies that you've already said something to them and you want them to remember it. And that was the case here as well. There's several times where Jesus uses that same expression all throughout his farewell sermon because he wants his disciples then and he wants us tonight to remember what he has to say. He wanted them and us to remember his precious words. His precious words. So what do we need to remember? when it comes to the words of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was specifically talking about what he said to them in that upper room, but can also apply to all of his words as recorded in the Gospels. And as you go through this message, and as we go through this message tonight, there are some key messages that stand out. And so I'd like to take a little time to look at some of those key messages in this 
last farewell sermon. So go back with me to John 13. And I mentioned it all begins in John 13, verse 2. And it goes through John 18, verse 1. And we're just going to kind of pick some of the key messages that he gave to his disciples that he wanted them and us to remember. So here in chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, he offers words of commission. Words of commission so that they and we might serve others even as he served us. What does he say? If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. And so we too need to remember Jesus' commission, don't we? Then jumping down to chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. What else does he offer? He offers words of commandment. And of course, that is too something we need to listen to and remember. Words of commandment so that we might love others even as he loved us. And this is the main commandment, right? So again, John 13, 34. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. In fact, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So what do we need to remember? His words of commission and his words of commandment. Jumping now to chapter 14. If you look at verses 1 and 2, he offers words of comfort, doesn't he? Familiar words of comfort that have comforted believers down through the ages. And here, since Jesus was about to go somewhere else ahead of us, even heaven, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. Now, here is his final farewell sermon, and this would have been a comforting thing to his disciples as they are waiting, not, not yet sure what's going to transpire that same night, that very night. And yet Jesus offers words of comfort. We need to remember those. Then jumping down to verse 27 of that same chapter, he offers even more words of comfort since he was about to send someone to us to be our comforter, the Holy Spirit himself. Just like we sang before the message. Jesus says, but the comforter who is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so we need to remember Christ's comfort, don't we? Because of where he was going to go himself and who he was going to send himself to take his place in our own hearts. To the next chapter in John 15, verse 7, he offers even more words, and these are words of communion. Words of communion so that we might know true fellowship with Him. We're familiar with the vine and the branches description here. And Jesus says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So what else do we need to remember from Jesus' words? His words of communion. That even though He is in heaven right now, and His Spirit is on earth, you can have fellowship with Him, by abiding in him. Jumping down to verses 15 and 16 of the same message, the same farewell sermon, in verse 15 and 16, he offers words of calling. Words of calling so that we might understand what our relationship with him is really like. Jesus calls us. And how does he call us? You're my friends, he says. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. 
Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Just a reminder of that song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, he is our Lord. Oh, he is our master. He is our redeemer that we've been singing about tonight, but he is also our friend and we are his friends. And so we need to remember that calling. It's a gracious calling. And that too is filled with comfort as well. Uh, going down to verse 20 now. He offers also words of caution. Remember, he is going up to heaven. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, but there will still be issues that you face in this life. And so he says, we need to be prepared to experience this same kind of reception that he faced when he was in this world. Remember, he says, remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And so we need to remember his words of caution, don't we? That the world and the flesh and the devil will challenge us and, and will try to tempt us and will try to draw us away into greater unbelief. And so really all of Jesus' words here in this entire message, as well as more of what he said, he gave to them, he gave to us to remember. And we see this expressly given to us in chapter 16, in verse 4. Again, he uses that formula, but these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. So what is it that he told us? These words of commandment and comfort and caution and commission and all of these different things and more, these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember what I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So when we come back to John 16, 33, we see that Jesus gave us much to ponder, and much to contemplate, and much to remember as we face our greatest enemies here in this world. And that's why Jesus said again there in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you. We need to remember his words. Now, how is it that we will remember his words? Well, how is it that his disciples were to remember his words? I mean, if you think about this being one long message and one farewell address, he covers a lot of stuff, doesn't he? How are we expecting, or how is he expecting them and us to remember all of these? Well, for one thing, he wrote it down for us, right? But how did we get it written down? Go back to John 14, 27. Or verse 26, I should say. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So what Jesus wanted us to remember, he helped his disciples remember through the Spirit of God so they could write it down for us and we could read it just like we did here tonight. We need to remember the precious words of Jesus. But then Jesus also tells us why we need to remember. If you go back to John 16, 33, why we need to remember his precious words. And that is that ye, or that in me, ye might have peace. This was the primary purpose for all of the words that we just looked at in his farewell sermon. 
It was so that you and I might experience the ease and the peace that comes through Christ. And we know that there is great power in the words of Christ. And that's something that we can and must believe about His words. That there is power to give us the peace that we need in a world of conflict and unease. His words can bring peace even in the midst of a world full of enemies. Of course, that peace comes by Christ. Uh, Again, it comes through the redemption that we have in Christ that we've been singing about all night tonight. But that peace also comes in Christ. You see, there's an objective reality to the peace that we have from Christ. He has given us peace with God through His sacrifice on the cross. That's objective reality. But then there's a subjective peace that we can have in Christ when we appropriate it by faith, when we come to Him and believe. I like what John Gill says concerning that peace. That peace is in Him and in Him only. That is, in His person, blood, righteousness, and sacrifice, which speak peace to us, pardon, and atonement, so that a soul finds any true, solid peace, rest, comfort, and joy. So Jesus gave us His words for our inner peace. Peace in our heart, a peace that the world cannot take away, a peace that passes all understanding that we read about in Scripture. Again, John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. But as we read through this farewell sermon, that's not the only reason we need to remember his words. He actually gives us more incentive to remember his words. Go back to chapter 15, verse 11. We need to remember them because they are also for our encouragement, for our ease, our peace, but also for our encouragement as well. Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you. That should sound familiar. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. So how does a Christian find peace in a world of conflict? Through the powerful words of Christ. How does a Christian experience joy in a world that is full of sorrow and grief? It is through the words of Christ that we have before us. So when you remember Jesus' words, not only will they bring his peace, they will also bring you his joy. But then there's even more. Uh, Look at chapter 16, verse 1. We also need to remember his words because they are for our establishment. Our establishment. Again, he uses the same phrase. These things have I spoken unto you, referring to this very sermon that he has given. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. Now, it is very easy for us in this world of temptations to yield to those. Uh, Last Sunday night, we actually sang that familiar song, yield not to temptation for yielding is sin. But that's what the world and the flesh and the devil are trying to get us to do, to yield to them and to sin against God. But Jesus says, I've given you my words so that you won't fall, that you will yield not to those temptations, that you will be established, that you won't be offended. And so Jesus has given us all that we need through his words to fortify us even in those hottest parts of the battle that we face in this world. You don't need to turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 and 3, Paul, the apostle Paul tells the church there that he was sending them Timothy, that young pastor, uh, young Timothy. And he, he says, I'm sending you Timothy, your brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. And there was a reason 
The reason why that Paul was sending Timothy was for this, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith so that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Now, we're not sure of all the things that were going on in the Thessalonian church or around them, but they were facing some conflict. They were facing some affliction and persecution. But he says, I'm going to send Timothy to shore you up, to encourage you, to, to fortify you, and to help you. But what do you think Timothy used to establish those Christians in the faith? None other than the Word of God itself, in the words of Christ. That's what we have because that's what we need to experience peace and joy and establishment in Christ. And that's why we need to constantly remember and recall the precious words of Christ because what we needed most, he gave to us. If you go back to John 16, our text we especially needed his words because Jesus further reveals there that in the world ye shall have tribulation. Now there's a contrast between what Jesus says earlier in this verse and with this statement here. Earlier in John 16, Jesus says, In me ye might have peace. But the opposite is, in the world you shall have tribulation. So we see the difference between the Lord and the world, between what he offers and what the world offers. And so even when you experience problems on the outside, you can still enjoy the peace and the joy and the establishment on the inside as you remember the words of Christ. So when it comes to our greatest enemies, we need to remember something, and that is the precious words of Christ. And so often we forget that, don't we? When we're faced with these enemies, we forget the great sword, the great offensive weapon that God has given to us, and that is the Word of God. He's given us His Word to fight off our enemies. But there is a second thing that we need to remember, uh, really a second thing that we need to do when it comes to our enemies, and that is we need to rest in something. So we need to remember something, that is the precious words of Christ, And we need to rest in something. That's what we find in the rest of John 16, 33, where Jesus says these immortal words. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. To overcome means to prevail. Uh, We've already looked at this in the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings and how to each letter to each church. He says to the overcomer, I will give them a promise, a special promise of comfort And, of course, Jesus is the ultimate overcomer. He is the one who will prevail. He is the one who has victory. And so this refers to the precious work of Jesus Christ. I have overcome the world. And it is because of this precious work that we can now be of good cheer. As Christians, we should have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Why? Because I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Assess your own personal Christian joy meter tonight. Where is it? What is it like? Are you fully joyful because of that great truth? I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has already overcome all of our greatest enemies, we can be of good cheer. Now, what kind of victory did Jesus achieve? Well, first of all, we see that his victory is a conclusive victory. 
a conclusive. When Jesus uses the personal pronoun I to refer to himself, he actually refers to all of himself. Not just his human nature, but his divine nature as well. All of himself. And because his divine nature backs up his human nature, we know that whatever he does, whatever he accomplishes, is eternal and infinite. And that is why his victory is a conclusive victory. I, Jesus says, I emphatically, Jesus says, have overcome the world. But then we also see that it is a certain victory. A certain victory as well. When Jesus said, I have overcome, note the tense that he uses. I have overcome. He did not tell his disciples in the upper room that he was overcoming as if it was a process underway. No, he says, I have overcome. Nor did he tell his disciples that he would yet overcome as if it was still something that was in the future, that it was something that he had to yet do. No, he told his disciples, I have overcome, and the idea is, already I have overcome. So even before his death on the cross, he could tell his disciples that his victory was sure, that his victory was certain. I have overcome the world. Because from his perspective as the divine Son of God, it was already accomplished. Now this is something that is hard for us to fully understand because we don't have the sight of God. We don't have his perspective on things. But when we look at Scripture, we understand that God tells us how it was accomplished. In fact, uh, in, in 1 Peter 1.20, Peter would later write that Jesus Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So the cross was not just a reaction by God to redeem sinners because it took them off guard. No, it was a plan, an eternal plan, a plan that was drawn up in the infinite wisdom of God in the eternal counsels of the past in order to accomplish in time. And yet from his perspective, it was already done. From his perspective, Jesus was already the Lamb of God who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But that's also why John would tell us in Revelation 13, 8, we saw this even this morning, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, it was as if he had died before the world began. The redemption was ready. And that's why even the Old Testament saints could have their sins forgiven. And they could have been redeemed. Because the redemption had been bought before they had ever sinned. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of plan that God had. And that's the kind of accomplishment and overcoming victory that Jesus had. Again, Jesus says, I have overcome already, even before the cross. And so even though the effects of Jesus' work are eternal, even before the, the world began, it still yet had to be worked out in time. So he still had to die. He still had to suffer. He still had to bleed. He still had to be put on the cross. But ultimately, this is why we can rest in Jesus and his victory over our greatest enemies. Because it's not something anticipated. It's something accomplished. So even when you are surrounded by your enemies, and we frequently are, remember this world is not our home and this world is certainly not our friend, so often we even succumb to our enemies for a time. 
Sometimes we do yield to that temptation. Other times we might be persecuted by our enemies. But Jesus Christ has already overcome them through his infinite and eternal value of his life and death and resurrection. Jesus' victory over all our enemies is a certain, conclusive victory. But then we also see from this verse, it is a complete victory. Even though Jesus said in verse 33, I have overcome the world, and of course that's one member of that unholy trinity, his statement can include really all of our enemies, can't it? Jesus overcame all that is over the world, which means he overcame the devil himself. In, in fact, in John chapter 12, verse 31, we can read that he is called the prince of this world. So when Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he means not just the world itself, but even the one who is over the world, which is the devil. And that's the second member of the unholy trinity. But Jesus also overcame all that is in the world, which means he overcame our own lusts, even as John tells us in 1 John that it's the lust of our flesh, right? And that's the third member of the unholy trinity. We've got the world and the flesh and the devil, and Jesus overcame them all. And so in a very real sense, Jesus overcame our greatest enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, even before the world began. Now, if that is a victory, I don't know... What, or if that isn't a victory, I don't know what else is. And all this means is that the victory Jesus obtained is truly a Christian's victory. And that's why Jesus again said in John 16, 33, Be of good cheer, Christian. So when you think about this verse and you think about all that Jesus has done for us to accomplish the victory for us and in us and through us, what should be our response? Again, to be of good cheer. Remember, he even said, these things I've said to you so that your joy might be full. Now, this word, be of good cheer, it is an interesting word, cheer, because it can be translated different ways. Uh, of course, first of all, it talks about joy as the idea of really being encouraged and having a joyful spirit because of what Jesus has done for you. And so if you are trusting and resting in the precious work of Christ to overcome all of your foes, you can be of good cheer. You can be a happy Christian even when you are experiencing the affliction in this world. It can also be translated to take comfort. Be of good comfort. Why? Because of all of the words of comfort that he's already given us here in this passage, in this, in the, in this sermon. Remember he says, I am going away to prepare a place for you, so let not your heart be troubled. And now I'm going to send someone to you from heaven, the Spirit of God, to be with you, so let not your heart be troubled. So be of good cheer. Be of good comfort. That word also can be, or deal with our confidence. It can also be translated, be of good confidence. Why can we be confident now? Because of the victory that Jesus Christ has already obtained for us. Another way that I've seen it translated is to, to live courageously, to be of good courage. So again, be of good cheer, be of good comfort, be of good confidence, be of good Courage, all of these things can be ours because Jesus has overcome the world. Matthew Henry says this, Christ, having overcome the world, believers have nothing to do but pursue victory and divide the spoil. And this we do by faith. Remember, Jesus is the one who overcomes the world for us. 
And we saw last week how those enemies are very serious, strong, powerful enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes we feel like we are overwhelmed by those enemies and we cannot overcome those enemies. But we have one who has already overcome those enemies. And that's why, again, Matthew Henry says, all that a believer has to do now is to pursue victory. To pursue victory. And how do we pursue victory? By remembering his precious words and resting in his precious work. That is how we obtain victory over our enemies through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who enables us to pursue ongoing victory in our own life over our greatest enemies. So what do we do today? We pursue after victory. And yes, sometimes our foes can be very fearsome and fearful, but we don't have to be fearful of them because Jesus has already overcome them. Tonight, and really throughout this week, remember this precious verse. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. So remember the precious words of Christ when you are confronted by your greatest enemies. In the world you shall have tribulation. Those are our enemies. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Rest in his precious 